0: By the way, I see that I'm competing with a buffet in a room full of Jews. So you really must think I'm a good speaker. No problem. Okay. I know what a lot of you are thinking. I get this all the time. You're thinking you're bigger than in your picture. I try not to take that too personally. Thank you for inviting me also to England on July 4th. I don't know if you're all familiar with, by the way, I'm American, can you tell from my accent? No, but you can tell because I'm bigger than in my picture. (laughs) So thank you for inviting me on uh, American Independence Day to, uh, England it's very nice and ironic to be here uh, you know an Englishman told me recently he said what's the difference between Americans and a cup of yogurt and he said if you leave a cup of yogurt alone for 300 years it'll develop a culture So not to be outdone, I said, oh, I thought it was because yogurt comes in non-fat. <laughs> like I said, I'm bigger than my picture. <laughs> Anyways, Baruch Hashem. By the way, that's all part of the Morabu Maisecha. I'm talking, no, I'm seeing, and the diversity, we're all different, each one of us, Hashem's creations physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we're all different. And uh, I think those who read my column know that I'm very into this idea. I think I've written it in the column many times. You don't answer a question, you, you answer the questioner. There was once a mechanic from Eretz who put together a chibor uh, of Klolei Chinuch, the rules for Chinuch, and he brought it to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the Rebbe looked it over, and he said, you're missing one rule, the most important rule of Chinuch. There are no rules. There are guidelines, but there are no rules, because each and every child is unique and different. Each and every one of us is different, and we don't all fit into the same mold. which is part of why I'm especially honored and feel privileged to be at this event for Legado, and I'm grateful that I was invited to address all of you and to be part of celebrating the work of an organization that allows each individual child to thrive. I'll tell you a story. Most of you have probably, if you're aware of uh, Hasidic mishpachology, you know of the house of Ruzhin, which comes from the Magid of Mezrich. One of the dynasties that comes from Ruzhin is a Hasidist called uh, Husyatin. And it's named after a town in the Ukraine. And an interesting thing happened during the interwar years, in the 30s, the Husyatin the Rebbe of this Chsidus, he moved from the Ukraine to Vienna, Austria. Vienna, Austria in the 1930s, cosmopolitan, modern, secular. And he's walking down the street with the Tzir of a Chsidus Rebbe and a German-language newspaper reporter saw him and asked somebody, who is that? Who's that interesting person? And they said, He's the Husiatner nerov and he's not a regular rabbiner, not a regular rabbi. He's a wunder rabbiner, he's a wonder rabbi. The reporter says, well, I've never met a wunder rabbiner, a wonder rabbi. I would like to make his acquaintance. So it was arranged, and the reporter met with the Husiatner and he said, I hear that you are a Wunder Rabbiner. Pray tell, what is a Wunder Rabbiner, a wonder rabbi? So the Husiachnerov said like this. You know, you have a regular rabbi, congregational rabbi, and he controls a synagogue. Then a little bigger than that, you have a Shtot rav, a city rabbi he controls a whole city bigger than that you have a chief rabbi he controls a whole country and then you have a vunda rabbi or a wonder rabbi he controls himself i was once in one of my previous incarnations let's call it Previous career capacities. I was working for a nonprofit and they called in a time management expert to come train us. And uh, he opens up like this He says, Everybody, write down your definition of time management. So everybody writes it down, hand it in. And uh, after everybody hands in their definition of time management, he collects them all and he says, You're all wrong which I thought was a nice thing to tell us after we would already written our answers. You're all wrong. There's no such thing as time management. Time cannot be sped up or slowed down. You cannot manage time. You can manage your relationship with time. You can manage yourself. I think this is rather like what the Husayat Nerov said. What's a wonder, or What's the most wondrous thing that a person can do is manage oneself, be in control of yourself. A balabos avzich. So let me suggest the following. I think a lot of times when people have questions, common questions in life, especially questions that have to do with relationships, that have to do with those near and dear to us, for instance, sholom bias, marriage questions. People tend to think of marriage advice or marriage tools like time management. They want to manage time. So, what's good Shalom bias tactics? Spouse management. If I could just get my spouse to do what I know he or she is supposed to be doing, then we would have Bayis. bias. Alderzer. In the same vein, what's chinuch? What's chinuch? What's the education of a child? Child management. If I could just get that kid to listen. If I could just get him to do what I know he or she ought to be doing, then I'd have some nachas. But I'm here to tell you like this. Everything in life is about self-management. Especially the relationship with our children. What I want to talk to you about tonight, when I talk to you about Chinuch, is not how to change our children, but how to change ourselves and the way we view them and relate to them. Is that okay? That's alright? I'm giving us all homework for the rest of our lives, or at least until the kids are married off. It's not about them, it's about us. Not, not about what they need to be doing differently, it's about what we need to be doing differently. So I want to tell you like this. I was talking about it before. The Abishta created a diverse world. Every single one of us is different. That's why I said before, don't answer the question, answer the questioner. Or the biggest rule in education is there are no rules. And the reason is because everyone is different. Shalmi says, Even in wheat kernels, Not one single wheat kernel is similar to the other. Every single wheat kernel looks different than every other wheat kernel in the whole world. Says so as Yir-shalmi, why? Al aches kama v'kama odem that if in wheat kernels every single one of them is special and unique how much more so human beings? Rav Dessler said every single child is a Metsuyan in something in something. If you knew that your child was the next Godoladeh you would do everything to give them the opportunities to develop their skills and their aptitude in Limmud What I want to tell you is, every single child, every boy, every girl, is the next Godol HaDoyr in their Inyan, in their Chelik, in their special mission for which their soul came to this world. But we as parents have to have Harchoves Hamoichin, not clean couplet de kite, but a a wide look to be able to see where each child can succeed. They tell a story, they say this a lot in Bnei Brak, not that I hang out so much in Bnei Brak, but these are the stories that I hear, that a father came to the Chazon Ish and he complained that he has a son who's not a Lamden. And he's concerned, what the what's gonna be the future for this boy? Because the father was a Grace and a big Talmil and the son he didn't see that he had that type of capacity. So the Chazon Ish said, Okay, so there are other things to focus on. How about Bekeus? And the father said, Bacchaeus, what about londis?" Chazon Ish said. If this child has a chosh in Bekiyus, develop his Bekiyus. And everybody knows that that son was Reb The father was the stipler and the son was Reb And he became one of the greatest, if not greatest, bekiyim, as far as breadth, encyclopedic knowledge, that any of us alive have ever seen. But that took the vision of somebody who didn't tell this father to persist on the path that the father had in mind, but to develop the underlying talents that the child already had. A story came out recently. People started telling after the petira of Haraf Steinman about a young man. It's also a story from Bnei Brak. Family from Bnei Brak. The boy went off the derech. Completely, completely, completely secular. And he moved in with his uh, secular cousins. And he got to a point where he was engaged to a uh, non-Jewish girl. He told his cousins, who were quite secular, but even for them that was too much to take. They said, go back to your father in Bnei Brak and tell him what you're doing. So the boy came home for Shabbos. He didn't make any pretenses about it. He was openly Mechal Shabbos. You can imagine the pain of the father who just stood by. He didn't try to intervene, he understood. It was too far gone for, for that, to take that musr. And so the boy would stand out on the porch and smoke a cigarette, sit on the couch and play with his phone. But then something happened, Shabbos day, the father says, just off the cuff, he says to the son, I'm going to Rav Steinman's Shir, maybe you would like to come with. You know, random shot in the dark, maybe you'd like to come with. And this boy, who is completely away from Yiddishkeit, Michal Shabbos, engaged to a non-Jewish girl, says to his father, sure, why not? So he comes to the shear. After the shear, the father brings the boy up to Rav Steinman. and explains the boy's matzav. Rav Steinman asks him, how long have you been Mechal Shabbos? He says, about two years. Rav Steinman says, in those two years, did you have ever have a hear her tshuva? Did you ever think maybe about repenting? He says, "Yeah, maybe a few times. How many times? Four times." And each time, how long did it last? Ten minutes." So R. Steinman says, "So in the past two years, for 40 minutes, you were Bamokim Chuva,. You were standing in a place that I can't reach." This shook the boy to the core. He couldn't couldn't forget this. After that Shabbos, slowly but surely, he began to come back. After the fact, after he came back to a life of Yiddishkeit, his father asked him, he says, you know, I always wondered, why in the world did you agree to come with me? I'm glad that you did, but why? Why did you agree to come to the Shir? You weren't from Bahlal. Why were you coming? The boy says, "I'll tell you why. When I was a little boy in Cheder, when I was in Kita Dalad, we we finished learning a Mishnah, and they brought us to the Godol for a farher. They brought us to Rav Steinman. He should farher us. And I understood that the point was that he should ask easy questions." that we should all be able to get it right. And he asked my first friend a question. He answered, he got it right. He asked my second friend a question. Obviously, understand for me, this is incredible anxiety because I was never good in school. Knowing that I'm gonna be called on was always my greatest dread. And I'm sitting there with the God of and I know my question is coming up. And finally, inevitably, he calls on me and he asks me a question about the Mishnah that we just finished learning. And I answer, and I get it wrong. Steinman asks me another question, and I realize that it's supposed to be easier, even easier than the easy question he asked at first. And I answer it, and I get it wrong. He asks me a third question, an even easier question. It's the easiest question. I see my friends rolling their eyes. It's that easy, and I answer it, and I get it wrong. And it's, again, it's the humiliation, it's the hurt, the embarrassment, the shame. And then I watch all my friends walk one by one out of the classroom, and then i Steinman gives each one of them a candy for the Feher. And I was the last one out of the room. He calls me back and he says, in Torah, we judge by Yegiya, by effort. Everyone put forth the effort of answering one question, therefore they received each one candy. You put forth the Yagiyah, the effort of answering three questions. Therefore, you get three candies. And Rav Steinman proceeded to give the boy three candies, which he placed in his hand. I mean, right before I came up here, Rabbi arya was mentioning why Yidner called Yisroel Yisrael is kasrisah, because you struggled, you toiled. imonoshim Vimelakim. <in Hebrew> With men and with angels, and you were able, you you overcame, you prevailed. Why are we named after the struggle part, not about the victory part? But exactly, that's the point. The Yid is one who struggles. Or like the Gemara says, One who learns his lesson a hundred times. And one who learns it a hundred and one times. Why? Because that extra one time is yegiya. It's toil, it's out of the comfort zone. And the Kotzker says, what's the meya v'echod? Sh'ma Yisrael Hashem alakeinu Hashem echod. If you're a masmid b- 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 beteva, you have flesh. You were, you, were, you, were, you were blessed with a good head. You were, you were blessed to, to be able to sit and learn. So learning meya pomim, to do your lesson a hundred times, nishken kunz. Where's the there? Where's the avedas Hashem? That's just your Teva. The Avedas Hashem comes along in the May of Shema Yisrael, HaShem HaShem Echod. When you push one more past your comfort zone. So even for the masmid, even for the London, it's not Avedas Hashem until he's uncomfortable. Now consider the kid who his entire Metzius as a Talmud is discomfort and, and toil and work and getting up again and, and, and struggling each day and making the effort. I was speaking the other week in Borough Park to a bunch of special educators. we were on a boat, they took them out at the end of the school year on a boat, and I asked them, they're all special educators. I said, listen, between you and me, what Raf Steinman did with this boy, if you had to write the IEP, do they use that in England? Do they do the IEP? Yeah, you're, not, you're nodding the heads. The IEP is the Individualized Educational Plan, and Every special educator has to have the individualized educational plan. The whole idea is, okay, the kid can't do what everyone is doing, no problem. What can they do? Individualized educational plan. So what is it that they do? So I asked the special educators, by the way, I have to give away a little bit, I have to be a little bit transparent because people already assume that I know a lot more than I really do all the time. So some, Yeah. The problem. So I have to reveal a little bit my sources. I don't know what an IEP is. My mother, may she be well, is a speech pathologist and a special educator and has been for many decades. And I was telling her this story about a Steinman and she said, you know, I could write a really interesting IEP about that story. So then I asked the special educators, I said, what would you write in your IEP? How are you going to explain that this just isn't, this just isn't Nebuch, you tried, they make him feel better, you know, comfort him. Stroke his ego. How can you as an educator say that there was accomplishment? The God of Leder says that you accomplished. Stami he was trying to make the kid feel better. Rav Steinman knew a little bit about Torah, and about what it means to be a Talmud. Zichir, for sure, he was talking, he was serious. So my mother told me, you know, In education, you have different type of objectives. For instance, cognitive objectives, knowing the material. This kid didn't know the material. Okay, fine. That's not the only type of objective. There's something called affective objectives, yeah? Affective objectives have to do with attitude. So, for instance, for a kid who experiences anxiety every time he answers a question, to submit himself to that experience, not once, but twice, but three times, willingly, not to put his head down, not to go stare at the, in the corner, not to run out of the room, but to submit himself to trying to answer. That is the, an accomplishment of an affective objective. And that's something that any educator could write up in a report and be proud of that something was accomplished. What I'm trying to bring out is, and we don't need to know how to write it in an IEP to prove that it's true. It's true because Toyota says it's true. Every child can achieve excellence if we judge them by the right criterion. If we judge everybody by the same criteria, we're gonna have a lot of failures. And worse than that, a lot of children feeling rejected, feeling less than, feeling uncomfortable in their own skin And they don't have to feel that way, because every single child is a metzuyon, in something. We, as parents, need to change our mentality to look at this gift that the Ebeshta gave you, this unique child, this unique soul, that's unlike any other soul that ever came to this world or ever will come again. And to see what is their unique shleches and their unique contribution. They're unique, chiluk and and in mycim So this is what I want to talk about: how to see the greatness, the uniqueness in each child, because it's there. It's there. Hashem does not rec- does not create redundancy. Afilo ein No two wheat kernels are alike. You're telling me two children, two precious neshamas are alike. The Gemara says, Gemara in brachas, the Kamei sheein partzufei seym shel bnei Adam shaves just like no two people have the exact same face, so too no two people have the exact same mind. Just like no two human beings in the world, even identical twins look a little different, just like no two human beings in the the world have the exact same face, so too no two human beings have the exact same mind. Lukácska asks a question. Why do you have to compare it to people's faces? Just say it outright. No two people have the same minds. So Likotska says like this. When you meet somebody and they don't look like you, they don't have the same face as you, So, there bothers you? It's a problem? You were expecting they should look like you? So how come when we encounter somebody whose mind operates uniquely, who sees reality and understands their experiences and processes information differently, all of a sudden this becomes a problem? It would be a problem the opposite way. If the Abishta would make everyone with the same face, the same mind, the same shlichus, that's not the way the Ebishter did it. He did not create redundancies. Every neshama, every child that is born has a unique koyach and a unique mission that cannot be done by anyone else in the world. And this is what we have to bring out. We need you. We need you because nobody else can do what you do. Ask not, here's my American uh, politics coming out here. July 4th, July 4th, plagiarizing from Kennedy now. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We try to sell the kids on what Yiddishkeit can do to enhance their lives, as if Yiddishkeit were the world's greatest self-help program. It's not right. What can you do for Klal Yisro? What can you do for the world? Avedis Hashem means you're serving somebody. Whom is being served if you're an Oivad Hashem? Hashem! What are you giving Hashem? Don't worry what Yiddish... Can we try to sell them so much on what the benefits of a periodical life... We try to sell them what, what Yiddish kid has to offer. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear what they need. They want to hear what they're needed for. And that what they're needed for can't be done by anybody else. It's a mitzvah. They tell a story that when Rebar and Kotler used to be driven up on the Garden State Parkway, He used to ask specifically they should go in the manual toll lane and not to go to the automatic lane. Now, it takes time. It takes extra time. Rabbi Aaron has extra time to spend. He's taking the the manual lane instead of the automatic. And now today we have the easy pass. In America we have the easy pass. So somebody asked and he said like this, this guy is sitting in the toll booth all night what he should feel like he's useless If it takes me an extra few seconds to go through the manual lane that this guy should understand that he's needed that's what I'm gonna do Zemaisa happened to Shalayim it was a family had a child with special needs severe special needs and uh they felt the best thing for him would to be to live away from home and there was a an institution that they were looking into and uh, but they were torn about it because they weren't sure if the the ruchnius would be up to par so they went to Rebbe Shlemazam in Orbach, and they asked him what they should do and he said well what does the child say He has an opinion. They didn't think of that. What what does he say? They said, we didn't ask him. Shlomo Zaman said, you bring him in. I'll ask. him." So they brought the kid in. Severely special needs. And uh, Shlomo Zaman asked him, do you want to go to this place? He said, I'm not sure. So the Rav says to him, let me tell you something, I need a mashgiach ruchni, I need somebody in that place, my deputy, my shliach, to represent me, and they should make sure that everything there is ketobot, everything is going properly, kashris, ruchnis, will you be my shliach to be the mashgiach ruchni and to make sure everything happening in that home is proper for a Jewish boy? He said of course I will. And the boy went. And he took the job very seriously. He would report in to the extent when the parents would want to bring him home for Yom and he said I can't. I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. I have a job. I'm needed. So the Shlame knew how to make this child feel needed. And I want to tell you something, in this world today, if you're not the one who makes your child feel needed, there's somebody else who will. And you don't necessarily get to pick who that is. Every child has a special schlichus that is unlike anyone else's schlichus in the world. That's why every child was given unique koiches mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that nobody else has. We are all indispensable. I'll tell you a story. There was a certain tekufa, a certain period, where there was a very strange fellow who used to come to the Fabrengans at 770. It was in the 80s. There was a guy dressed differently than everybody else. He was to wear a windbreaker and a bucket hat, and uh, he was dressed like a gym coach. And he would stand up on the bleachers, and he would cheer, he'd pump his, pump his fists, and he would cheer as if he were coaching a team. And they used to call him the coach. All the him called him the coach. Now, what a lot of people didn't know was that he really was a coach. And the story of how he came to the Rebbe's Fabrengens, actually I heard the story from a, originally a London na- a native from uh, Yossi Lu, who was the one who used to have to bring the coach to the Fabrengens from Long Island. So Yossi told me like this, this guy, the coach, he was the coach of the Harlem Globetrotters basketball team. Oh, by the way, good luck in the World Cup. <laughs> I'm mentioning basketball, I figure, you know, a little, what do you guys call it, football. Yeah, okay, good luck against Sweden. Yeah. On Shabbos. <laughs> Nobody better know the score, shall this, I'm telling you that. That's strictly mlava Malka information. And I want you stopping non-Jews on the street. Excuse me, sir. whole new level of Amira Akum. No, do not do it. We're not doing that. So he was the coach of the Harlem Globetrotters basketball team. He was watching the Rebbe's Fabrengen on satellite. And he was very taken. It was dernomen. The thing is, the coach couldn't speak Yiddish. He was from a very assimilated Jewish family. He couldn't understand a word of Yiddish. So he couldn't hear what the Rebbe was saying, but he was drawn. So he gets in the car and he comes to uh, 770 to Crown Heights and he marches up the steps and he comes in the front door and he finds some Bachram learning and he says, I'm here to see the rabbi from the TV. And they say, it doesn't work like that, you know. Uh, No, I must see him. It's very important that I meet him. They said, he's not available right now. Maybe you might want to make an appointment. He says, I just need to see him for a second. So finally they understood he's not taking no for an answer. They said, fine, the Rebbe will come out from Mincha. When the Rebbe comes out from Mincha, you could see the Rebbe come out. They didn't understand who this character was. He planted himself by the door where the Rebbe would come into Shul. And as soon as the Rebbe came out, he ran right toward the Rebbe. Now, in 770, there were people who you would see would maybe run away from the Rebbe. <laughs> they would hide, <laughs> you know. But he ran right to the rabbi, And uh, he gets right up close. Very unusual, very just nobody does this. He goes right up to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, my name is Abe Zaks, and I'm the coach of the Harlem Globetrotters. And everybody's like, OK, <laughs> interesting. Just not a normal sight for 770. Even for 770. <laughs> you have to be in a special league to distinguish yourself like that. And of course the Rebbe didn't flinch and the Rebbe didn't It doesn't surprise us that the Rebbe answered compassionately or respectfully. That's, that's not why I'm telling you this story. The chiddush of the Rebbe's answer is just something I, Who'd think of it? Who would think of it unless you really, really saw people this way? The Rebbe looks at this fellow, without missing a beat, the Rebbe says, Good, I need a coach, and keeps walking to Mincha. you see what the Rebbe did there? you see what he did? If you would take the chevra at the fabrengens, three in the morning, after the Rebbe finishes fabreng, and you would say to them, guys, listen, what could we do? What could we add? After something new we could introduce to the fabrengens that would take us to the next level. What do you think we could do? I promise you, nobody in a million years was going to say, well, let's get a basketball coach with a bucket hat to stand on the bleachers and pump his fist and cheer us like we're at a sports game. Nobody thought that's what we need. And, and yet this Heverman shows up in 770 and the Rebbe says to him, like almost, I don't want to say Yeah, almost annoyed, like, where have you been till now? You're the coach? (laughs) Then how are we getting by without you? See, that's the difference between tolerance and interdependence. Tolerance means no one wants to be tolerated. You want to be tolerated? Eh, Okay, I guess it's fine. Come on in, we'll make room for you. Tolerance means we let you be here even though you are different. Interdependence means we need you here precisely because you are different. Ava Yisrael and Ahtas Yisrael has nothing to do with tolerance. We don't tolerate a Jew. We don't overlook his differences. We look straight at his differences and appreciate them as an asset that we need. The used to say that you could find Avos in every parsha of the Torah. Every word. Somebody said, what about Balak? He said, it's right in the name. Balak is Rosh HaTavos. So somebody said, it's not so. Because Vyahafta is a Vav, not a Vase, and Kamech is a Chav, not a Kuf, you only have one letter out of the three that's actually correct. And Abderov said, when it comes to Vyahafta, you can't be so fussy. <laughs> that, that's one level. One level is you're different, you're quirky but I'll look past it. But then there's another level. And by the way, let me ask you a serious question. If you're a child growing up in a home with parents, do you wanna feel that what makes you unique and different is tolerated? Do you wanna feel that the people you depend on most for validation and emotional stability in your life look past your quirks Or do you want to feel that they see you and value you for the way that you're different? Even the wheat kernels are not identical. How much more so human beings, precious children. And not just because diversity for the sake of diversity. That's not what it is. This is is not diversity for the sake of diversity. That's not a Jewish value. This is diversity for the sake of accomplishing the mission. The mission requires that many different unique jobs. So if I meet someone who's uniquely abled, because they think different, or feel different, or behave different than all the rest of us, I found my man. I need a coach. you're differently abled. You're my shliach. I'm making you the mashkiah rochni of the group home. I'm sending you on a mission. I need you. I don't tolerate you. I need you. I don't let you be here. I need you here. Our children need to hear that they are needed here. That we need them. That Yiddishkeit needs them. Klal Yisrael needs them. The world needs them. Mashiach needs them. It's a crazy world out there. But we're not losing our kids to the world. We're depriving the world of our kids. You want to get out of this sick gullus? I know that I do. Those kids of ours who are most susceptible to being subsumed and sucked into the exile, those are our best and our brightest. Those are the ones, and they're all the best and the brightest, every one of them. The ones who are pulled into that world, pulled into the exile, pulled into all that confusion, they're the ones, that the Abish they gave a gift to be able to fight it. We should release them out into the world instead of confining them and telling them to be like one size fits all, one model. The uniquely abled, those who have talents, those who are different, those are the ones who have special koiches to go out and, and bring light into the world, bring healing into the world, to put an end to the Gullahs, to bring gola. We have to recognize their talents and, and cherish their talents and tell them that we love how different they are. You know, it says about the Emois, the Enei Lea Rakois, <sighs> That the eyes of Leah were bleary. But Rachel was beautiful of form and figure. This is a nice way to speak about your mothers. Oh, beruchnias, beruchnias. Yeah, it's spiritual. Okay. This is a nice way to speak of your mothers. So Rachel is spiritually and Also physically, she's the beauty. She's the typical textbook beauty. She is social and she's a leader and she just falls into the stream of everything and she's always the valedictorian, top of the class. And it's easy for her. That's her nature. She's just gifted that way. Then you have her older sister. Isn't that... The older sister, living in the shadow of the successful, cheerful, popular, beautiful younger sister, Ene Leia she had bleary eyes. You know what she was? She was not conventional like Rachel. Rachel was your typical beauty. Leia was interesting. That. Worst of all descriptions that anyone can ever call you. That euphemism that stabs you in the heart. Interesting. Rasha says the reason she was bleary-eyed is because she knew people were talking. That uh, Rivka had two sons and Lovin had two daughters the older to the older, the younger to the younger, that Rachel, the cookie-cutter star Talmida that she is, she's going to grow up and she's going to marry Yankif. And Leah, being interesting, she's going to grow up and marry Asaph. That's what everybody was saying, and she was crying about that. Every one of us, so you have two mothers, and so we're all like one of our mothers. Every one of us is either a Rachel or a Leah. I, I'll ask you, you know, think about it yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. Are you a Rachel or a Leah? Some of us are the cookie cutter. And some of us are interesting. Now, if you're a Rachel, then what kind of a life do you have? Rachel marries Yankev. Ishtam, holim. So you have, you are cookie cutter and I'm not putting it down, Baruch Hashem. if that's who the Ebishter made you, that's who the Ebishter made you. Then that's your shlichus. And you have the picture perfect Jewish life. You marry a chashev ben t'ayda. Everything is the way they told you it was going to be when you were a little girl. And if you're Leah, who do you marry? What kind of a life do you have? If you're a Leah, you marry an ace of, professional, sounds like sounds like he had a job, probably means a blue shirt. <laughs> and I mean, you're going to say to me, well, that's an oinish, that's a punishment. Just because Leia is interesting, now she has to marry Ace of Arosha. So can I share something with you? I didn't make it up, I I saw it in the Medrash. No, I didn't see it in the Medrash. I saw it in Rashi who brought the Medrash. It says about Dina that she was mother like daughter. Yitzonis, an outgoing woman. Dina was like Leah. And that Yankee Vavina was punished for putting... Dina in a box, and hiding her from Esav, because she had the koyach to transform Esav, he wouldn't have been Esav Arasha. Esav would have rechanneled all of those koyaches all to kedusha. if he had the right woman in his life, if he were married to Dina. Or, if it wouldn't have been Dina, it, Dina was the of it. L'chadchila could have been Leah, ima, mother like daughter. Leah was interesting. So she had the koyach, not Rachel. Rachel needed to have the life of being married to a Yankiv. But Leah was interesting. She was quirky. She was an individual. She was differently abled. And she had special koyach. She could have married an Esau. And transformed all of that koyach into a Veda's Hashem. And we know... That if Esav would have been ready for Geulah, it would have been time for Geulah. Because when Yanki Ravino finally finished confronting Esav, he told him, "I'll meet you when Mashiach comes." Leah and Dina could have brought Mashiach. They could have put an end to the Gullis. Leah was afraid to do it. Ain't Leah She was afraid. Dina wasn't allowed to do it. She was put in a box. She was put in a box. Mothers and fathers, the Abishter trusted us with the most powerful neshamas that have ever come into this world. Neshamas with merdeka with kaiches to mamish to take the gallus and transform it into geula. We don't just deprive them of being their true selves. We're depriving the world. We're depriving kaviyachu. we depriving the abister. The E-bishter doesn't, Ebeshter is not sending Mashiach without us. It has to be through us. And he gave us the shlochem, he gave us our children who are the ones who are able to do it. We have a unique door. We have a unique door. The children born today are not like any other children and they don't live in a world like any other world that other children lived in. they have unique koiches it's up to us and sometimes by the way I'm not going to pretend there's not a grieving process that goes on when we have to let go of expectations but like you may have heard before expectations are premeditated resentments Every child is a Matsuyan. Every child can excel in some area. For Reb Chaim, it was to be allowed to excel in Bekiyus. For a special child in Yudah it was to be a Meshkiah Ruchni of a group home. For Abe Zachs, the coach of the Harlem Globetrotters, it was to stand on bleachers and pump his fists. Let's stop discounting those who are different and unique and interesting. Stop breeding shame in our children for being special and start cherishing. Every single child you have is Hashem's only child. And there's no one else like them in the whole world. There's no one else in the whole world like your child. Not even your other children. Why was Adam the first man created alone? To teach us that the Adam is a lamole that every individual is a whole universe, is a world. We, we can't afford to hide this problem anymore we need to take it head on we need the Geula already we need Mashiach already our children have the Kayach to do it they can do it they can do it if we love them and nurture them and accept them and cherish what's special about each of them And we can heal the whole world instead of hiding them from the world just leave you with one last thing to think about There was one time a father who was very busy, so busy that he had a home office. So he'd come home, he would work, even at home. And he was sitting in his office and he was working. And his little boy, his son, eight-year-old son, came over to him and said, Daddy, I wanna play. His father said, I'm a little bit busy right now. We can play later. He says, no, please, Daddy, I wanna play. The father didn't know what to do. He saw a magazine lying there in the office. On the cover of the magazine, there was a picture of the globe, of the world, with all the continents and the countries. So he tore that magazine cover off from the magazine, and he started tearing it into pieces. And he tore it into a hundred little pieces, and then he put them into the, the child's small hand, and he said to him, here, a puzzle. Put together the puzzle, this picture of the world. Now, the father knew good and well that this little boy didn't know what a world looks like. He doesn't know the the map. He doesn't know the continents, the countries. This will keep him busy for a good long time. And with that, the father went back to working. Ten minutes later, the little boy runs back into the father's office and he says, Daddy, Daddy, I'm finished. Come look. Father says, it's not possible. The boy says, it is. Come Goes into the dining room. He sees on the dining room table, there it is, a hundred torn up, tiny little pieces assembled perfectly. He sees there's the whole world. There's the world, the globe, all put together. Father says, how did you do it? Little boy says, I want to tell you the truth, Daddy. I don't know what the world looks like. I didn't learn that yet. But it was a magazine cover. On the back of the cover, there's the full-page ad and it had a picture of a man. I don't know what the world looks like, but I know what a man looks like. He lifted up each piece and he showed him, he turned it around He showed him the back. He said, I didn't put together the front, I put together the back and something interesting happens. You put together the man and the whole world comes into place. Together the child you don't even have to put them together the Abishta already gave to you a full complete, intact, perfect child just in your mind put together the child see the child embrace the child's uniqueness and the whole world will come together may it be very very, very soon Heide, wie es mir schert, es keiner. Im Heller wie am Ende. Amen.